All right, we are live, and I'm going to check and see who's online. We want to welcome all the folks that listen online that I always forget to acknowledge, but uh, we are grateful for that. I think we had, uh, it was either seven or 12 people listening online last week. I only knew two of them. And one of them here was your mom, you know, so. <laughs> it's, uh, it's cool. All right, we're on lesson 55 of What About Me and our focus on Gentiles and how we should be obedient to God and uh, follow along uh, in the scriptures. We're in Hebrews chapters 4, 5, and 6 this week and uh, and 7. And seven. And eight. Why don't we just do all of Hebrews tonight and just skip? Oh, well, let's see. Um, priesthood is uh, the priesthood of the master, um, is what we're talking about. And in chapter 5 and verse 14, the writer says, Solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I don't know if you recall it, uh, in the portion this week, uh, Nadav and Avihu bring, uh, I can't remember what the uh, Gutnik had, it wasn't strange, I think it was extraneous fire. But they brought strange fire and uh, you know the, the, the verbiage there is absolutely identical. <clears throat> right before they do that, it says that the Lord sent fire from heaven and devoured the fat and, and the sacrifice on the altar. And then these guys walk in with strange fire, and the Lord sent fire and devoured them. But it's exactly the same wording. And uh, as I'm reading through the commentaries, uh, one of them said, uh, well, they, they were intoxicated. So it really wasn't the, the fire. It was strange that they would bring fire while they were intoxicated. And he goes through this long deal about this. And uh, later on we read, actually in the scriptures, and this is why the sage brought that up right after that. The very next thing is, make sure you're not intoxicated while you're serving in the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. Oh, and Sir wants to be intoxicated too. <laughs> oh, there you go. Checking on that. Yeah, of course you are. You, gee whiz. Um, but the reason it says that the priests cannot be intoxicated while they serve is because they must teach the people how to distinguish between good and evil, between right and wrong. That's why. And here in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That's what our walk is all about. That's what we should be able to do. And I'm, I'm thinking we should do that by studying the Word of God. What do you think? That would be the solid food. It's interesting. It acts, it's implying that distinguishing good from evil is like a muscle that you must train. Yeah. And if you don't, 
It'll atrophy. It'll atrophy, and you will then become desensitized to distinguishing good from evil. Even though you've been once learned right. and understanding right. that, that at some point you somehow lose yeah. your insight for that. Paul, That's just an interesting Paul is talking about these guys not being on solid food because they're still on, on the milk. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's like they haven't grown, and the muscle hasn't been, been uh, worked well, out. Paul also kind of describes it as running a race. Oh, that's right. You know, which is similar. Mm -hmm. You know, I buffet my own body. You have to continually yeah. train your body to yep. run that race better and better and better. And the minute you stop running, it, it's just yeah. It's yeah. Like the the uh, Lubavitcher Rebbe described Hanukkah and the increasing of light as you know the the fact that that is how it is in life. You're either decreasing or you're increasing. So you're either increasing in holiness or you're decreasing in holiness. Mm -hmm. It is impossible to be stagnant. I don't disagree with him at all. We're either, and, and you're, you're a good one to challenge us all that way. What have you been reading? How's it been going? How's your prayer life? <laughs> yeah. Don't you hate it when he walks up? You just want to, is there, look, I need to get some eggnog. Uh, yeah. Um, no, no, you're exactly right. So, I want to make sure that I'm not forcing this into the text or onto you. Gregory, based on what you just said, how do I train myself? How do I learn to discern and distinguish between good and evil? What is it I should say? Meshalat Yasharm is on that thing. I've also got several other books. So the Baba Sali's uh, biography is there. So the verse before it describes the word of righteousness. Bam! And that is a wonderful way of describing the Torah. And there is part of this too, where the, the whole training piece, I love that you brought up with sort of the priests, because I, it feels like it's describing, and this might be adding a bit, but it feels like it's describing keeping Torah within a community where oh, it's no, not just keeping Torah, but it's actually keeping Torah and consistently getting feedback on what you're doing. You're getting trained in discernments because there's someone that goes, that was close, but I need to do it this way. Or you, know, or you have the opportunity to say. Or you have the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so oh, I see that. that training piece, huh. like where does that come from, right? Like anyone can kind of read scripture, um, but I feel like that training piece comes in with the practice and the refinement from those that are wiser than you uh, and, and teaching others, you know, it's, it's sort of both. Like a teacher that. and a student. That's outstanding. Outstanding. Good. Anyone else? I hadn't even thought of that. So That's just, yeah, to, to, uh, in that regard, those who practice in an athletic context always have a coach. Right. Yes. And exactly. that, that's the the parallel I think that you're, that you're drawing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Family member or a teacher or a uh, yeah. Uh, Some kind of mentor or mentor. something. Yeah. 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 That's good. But the coach himself should also have a coach. He should always have a higher higher higher. Iron someone he's going to rely on. What was that? Just iron sharpens iron. Say it a little. Iron sharpens iron. Yeah. Oh yes. So one sharpens another. Mm -hmm. uh, I I think we've. Uh, We've experienced the mountain people. 
we've got several guys up in the mountains that um, often will drive a long ways from down here. And the reason why they do that is not to see Todd's beard, although it is an amazing thing to see. <laughs> a lot shorter now. Still very cool. But they come down here because they know that they need to rub shoulders with other other men. They need to have that iron sharpening iron thing. That's why this guy drives a half hour or more just to get here. Are you all at the end of a busy work day would rather just sit on the couch and veg or well maybe just go to bed early. Come here. I get it. So I agree that's uh, that's that's an important piece. Good. So I, I think we've uh, we've recognized what the writer of Hebrews is doing here as he goes through, you know, well, Yeshua is better than these angels. Yeshua is better than this. Yeshua is better than that. And we get into the uh, the priesthood. Um, so how is it that? Uh, Before when we get there, yeah. I'm just, so the, uh, in Hebrews 6, I, I am so surprised because like we've been talking about, especially with Hebrews 8, there's so much in Hebrews that gets misquoted, misappropriated, and, and it's just so interesting to me that I've never heard the, the Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, being used like kind of to, to frame better sermon series and everything. I mean, you know, having worked at a church before, these the, the things mentioned in here are essentially the pillars of what every single message has to include, you know, as opposed, and, and here it's, it's basically saying like, why do we even need to talk about that anymore? Like we're moving on, you know, but I, I thought that was so interesting that that completely gets ignored where, I mean, that is literally, it's always talking about found, you know, the, the repentance. I mean, even some messianic uh, places mm -hmm. will, always, no matter what the message is about, have to squeeze it back in to that. some of these what? these things. I mean, it seems like it's in order to be more seeker-friendly. It's in order to be more... Uh, I don't think it's to be seeker-friendly. Well, it's in order it's to, to recognize the seekers toward, are there. Right. It, more to be catering toward the people that aren't Correct. as familiar with these. <clears throat> which does make sense. Really? But is that the context for that? Precisely. I mean, I mean, clearly these are, <laughs> these are say, extremely important things that need to be communicated. Absolutely. Um, you want to do it or you want me to do it? I, I think um, Scott and I have experienced the crisis of leadership in the visible representation of the church that would expect that we're going to have an altar call and we're going to talk about these um, elementary things every thinking time we get together and yet I think at least my point I think I would I would uh, argue our point was this is not a time when we are seeking to teach new people or introduce them to the faith this is the time when we want to provide that solid food to the body. Right. We can have a, a milk time later. This isn't it. Because if this is the milk time, 
then there needs to be a very different time where we deliberately come together for the, the, the meat. And uh, I, can, I can tell you that I haven't found many churches in, in this city that are amenable to that concept because they need giving units. And those giving units are going to pay for the salaries and so forth. Yeah. So, yeah, I get where you're coming from. It's, yeah, it is astonishing when you actually read the scriptures and you come across this stuff and you're like, it, yeah. do you think the I pastor did, has ever read that? I, that's exactly yeah. what I thought. When I read that, I was like, wow. Yeah. So, like, this was entirely ignored. Shocker. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Joshua. Okay, so, I was wondering, go back to when you were telling us that we should consider the assembly of the church in church the assembly instead. Does the assembly refer to today's church as well? Or is it now a church? Wow, that's a great question. So we're going to have to unpack that a little bit so Caleb can give you an answer. Because um, I think, if you'll agree, you know, Caleb's a little confused by your question. So let me help you. Let me, let me help get some clarity here so you can answer it. Um, so, yes, I agree that what we had said in previous lessons is that the word ekklesia in the Greek has uh, two very strong connotations in the Hebrew. Assembly. If we look at the, at the Septuagint, it's either assembly <laughs> or congregation, right? And we saw last week that it appears that the writers of the English versions that we're all using would tend to put congregation in an extraordinarily Jewish context, obvious Jewish context, and assembly in more of a Gentile type or non-believing context. Um, and in Hebrew, we've got the kahal, uh, and we've got the edah. These are the Hebrew words. In Greek, we've only got Ecclesia. So your question is, is the church the ecclesia? What do you think? You can never say anything wrong here, you know. Just yeah. say what's on your heart. Say what's on your head. If That's... it's wrong, we'll all laugh at you. It's okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's laughing at you already. Actually, he's laughing at me. That's the point. I, I don't know how to put that into words, though. Do you think that the ecclesia is the church? Quick ecclesia. Ecclesia is the Greek word for either assembly, congregation, called out ones, whatever. Okay. So, don't let him squirm. Help him out, Micah. Do you think that the ecclesia in Greek is... The church as we know it today? Well, um, Reverend's bias translates it as church in modern day Bibles, but back then it is assembly. But if you're asking if modern day church is considered an assembly, it's not considered an assembly since it's actually a church. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, come on. No, 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 that was, that was clever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was, that was really clever. Sense. Yeah, come on. Son. Yeah. Come on, come on, Josiah, you want to try? No. Okay. So. <laughs> Mike has already find it, really. Yeah. All right. So let me let me uh, let me go ahead and ask you this question, Joshua. 
if um, if ecclesia that's described in the apostolic writings is in fact today's church part and parcel would we have many differences amongst the churches do you think differences theological doctrinal eschatological soteriological stop me whenever you want I've got a lot of articles there yeah all right so let me rephrase if the church or the representation of the church in our city today is in fact the ecclesia that's spoken of here in the scriptures why aren't you in one So, it seems that this question is actually supposed to be posed to your father, not to me. But, it would be, it would be poor of me to steal this answer from him. So, Mr. Martin, if, is it true? Do you believe that the ecclesia described in the scriptures, this assembly, this congregation, this adopt, this kahal, believers in the Lord Yeshua is represented in today's churches. I'd say that, that, that it's likely that there's a minority of the people who are populating church buildings today uh -huh. would be part of members of what would be biblically referred to as the assembly, the ecclesia. Okay. If we and, define if we define, yeah. the, the assembly is would be the gathering of people who are believers in Messiah Yeshua, who are following the teachings of Yeshua. There's a there's a definite article there, the assembly, the ecclesia. Mm -hmm. It is a defining attribute that these people have something in common, which is causing them to assemble. That, that's. Right, that causes them to be a homogenous yes. group. Yes, and if, if I would uh, rephrase or paraphrase what you said, the church today, the church building, probably does contain some of the assembly. But to Gregory's point, based on the way they're operating, most probably also contains folks that are not part of that biblical assembly. Right. Does that answer your question? I think so, but I'll have to talk to my father later. It's never a bad thing to talk to your father, in heaven or otherwise. Good. Great question. Um, do I owe you money for that one? Because that was... That was pretty cool. But do see me after class. Say yes. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Don't see me on Shabbat. Okay. All right, so uh, priesthood. How are we doing our priesthood? Is this, uh, is this priesthood here are we doing in uh, 6 and 7? I feel like I'm not in Hebrews. Okay. So we're talking about Abraham, Malkit Tzedek, 
Levi right this becomes even more evident chapter 7 verse 15 when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent but by the power of an indestructible life what in the world are we talking about this making Yeshua the guarantor of a better covenant the former priests many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing office but he holds his priesthood permanently so what's the deal what are we talking about how do you know if you're a priest if you're descended from the I know that I know the people in Gastonia can hear you if you're a descendant of Aharon that's good. Descendant of Aaron. Biologically. In English. Biologically, right? Um, you are therefore a priest. Yep. And not a Gentile. Levi. Cool. Or a Levite. Or the Echad. Those three pieces of matzah that are on the Seder table that you'll be at on Friday night is representative the sages say, of the three kinds of Jews. The priest, the Levite, and your common concert B-flat Jew. Joes are not in the Echad. Yeah. So yeah, so to be a priest, you've got to be one of Aaron's descendants. But this is talking about a priesthood. Not the Aaronic priesthood, but the priesthood of Malkitzedek, which would be what in English? Mal Priest of righteousness? Or King of righteousness. King of righteousness, exactly right. So when you read about him, it's kind of scary. No mom, no dad, not been around, don't know him, it's always there, you know, knows all of the roads. Knows what you're thinking, whatever of those things. So, if you sure were on the planet today, would you be a priest? No. no. Why not? Because there is no temple. Doesn't make you not a priest. Because he's of the tribe of Judah. A descendant of King David. Yes. Well, if he's of the tribe of Judah, he can't possibly be of the tribe of Levi. And, and therefore, certainly not a descendant of Aaron. Unless you would count if you eat the bread, the showbread of making queens, Jason. Yeah, but <laughs> this idea of eating the showbread making you a priest is a bunch of hooey. Nice try, though. Um, so, that's very cool. We'll talk about that at another time. Um, so, what did you come away with? studying that <clears throat> old encounter in the book of Genesis, yes. it takes a brilliant mind and one to understand scripture really well to extrapolate this beautiful description of Messiah out of that. 
because there's just so did like you just in very flowery language say it's hard to understand us? Well, it's just that I don't without you, Hebrews without <clears throat> Hebrews I wouldn't I probably I wouldn't personally peg that story as like a oh wow look at how messianic this story is. This is okay. a beautiful drosh on that encounter. Okay. Just because yeah. in, in I mean in the charts it's very cut and dry. Oh, he comes, King of Salem, you know, Abraham, we give the tenth of everything, and gone. And it's really kind of quick, not a lot of detail. It, it actually takes less time to read it than he just said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So three verses and you're done. And so, you know, and even, even just the thing about, like, the fact that he had no mother and father, because it wasn't mentioned. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. Does that mean it's always mentioned for everyone else? Yeah. That they had a mother and father? I don't know. It's, anyway. It's All right, really, so. It's really cool. So, somebody give me what we got. He's not a priest, but he is a priest. I, I quoted here, I think, Psalm 10.4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You, speaking of Messiah, the Son, are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Or Melchizedek, if you're reading that. So, is he throwing the Levitical or Aaronic priesthood under the bus? I've heard it said that... Um, that's a serious non-believer. Although he speaks Ashkenaz. I'm sorry? I've heard it said that uh, the division of the Melchizedek occurred between Judah, who took the, pre, uh, the kingly role, and Levi, who took the priestly role. And that it was a promise that eventually those two would come back together as one. That's clever. In the order of That's clever. Melchizedek. It's not scriptural. But no, it's, it's clever. not. No, but I've heard. And it, it sounds. Sound, yeah. It sounds cool. Because prior to Judah and the Levites taking those roles, there was a Melchizedek. Afterwards, there was none. So you kind of try to. But there, but there only appears to be this one guy. Without father and mother, and now. You're a priest forever. How does that differ from the regular priesthood? How long are you a priest for? Ever. Until really? You Until you die. die. Yeah. And once you die, well, that was, that was good. Yeah. So, high priest. How long is the guy who kills someone unintentionally, does he have to be killed? No. no. Where does he go? Just to the um, city, city, of city of refuge until the high priest dies. Until the high priest dies. How do we know the high priest will die? What? Yeah, you do. How do you know the high priest will die? There'll be a big ceremony. Now, I didn't say how we know when the high priest will die. I asked you how you know that the high priest will die. We are all we are all human. Ten out of ten die, statistically. His light bulb burns out. That's it. The light bulb is, is no good. Right. He's a guy. Guys die. Everybody dies. Everybody dies, statistically. Except for two. Statistically. It's more than two. All right. So, so the, the Levitical priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood, served a temple that was built by men here. With hands. With hands here on earth. For how long? For how long what? How, for how long did these Aaronic priests serve? 
Until they die. Until they die. Yes. And yet we see in Psalm 110, the, the Melchizedekian priest order, yeah. apparently has no beginning and no end. So you are a priest forever. Right. There it is. So we have a different kind of priest. We have a different kind of priesthood. And by definition, by definition, can't be a priest here. We already got priests for here. They're called Aaronic priests. And they die. This guy doesn't die. And he can't be a priest in this tabernacle. So when Moses went up on the mountain, what was he shown? He was shown the Ten Commandments. He was given the Ten Commandments. What he was shown something. What was he shown? The back of God. He was what? The back of God. Yeah, that was a different visit. That was a different visit. Yeah. Yeah. After the summer was over, he went back. Another visit. What was he shown? The uh, instructions to make the tabernacle. Was he shown instructions, Micah? Be careful. He was shown the tabernacle. He was shown the tabernacle, and he was told, you make it just like the one I showed you on the mountain. How would they remember all the tabernacle? That's nothing. That's God. (laughs) So, which tabernacle, the one in heaven... Versus the one on on the earth that they built. Which one was the real one? Caleb says. Josiah says. Micah says. The one in heaven. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You can see where you're going, Joshua. Yeah. If God says it's to be created, then it's real. You're right. Uh, so, <laughs> rephrase. Yeah. So uh, let's uh, let's rephrase for the amazingly literal guys that came tonight. Give me that scene. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, which tabernacle was the original? <laughs> one, two, three. Say the one in heaven. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Gotcha! <laughs> okay. And that's the point of the writer of Hebrews. Oh, that man. you've got this priesthood here that we've read all about, and we're reading about it right now in the scriptures. Okay. And this priesthood works in this tabernacle. What's its primary function? I got you. What's the primary function of the Aaronic priesthood? We're reading about it all, all right now. To serve God. Say again? To serve God. To serve God. No. To allow the uh, people of Israel to come closer to God. To come closer. Let's use the biblical language to draw, draw near. near. Draw. Yes, right? So the whole their whole job is to help the people to draw near to God. That's their job in this tabernacle. That's a copy of the one that Moshe was shown on the mountain. That's the original one. <laughs> okay, I'll remember that. He's right. So there was an original 
tabernacle yes. where God dwells. And can you have a tabernacle without a priest? There must have been an original priest ministering. It was also to minister in some way in the tabernacle. Right. We don't know what that ministry is per se at this point. Wouldn't you say that there would be some element of helping people to draw near to God? No, because there's no people there. I would not. And that's why I say the, the priesthood and its elements and its practices are not discussed. They're not described anywhere. All we know is that our master is not this priesthood. Mm -hmm. He's in that priesthood. Mm -hmm. His efficacious work was not done in this tabernacle. It was done in the original. And, and I think that's where the writer of Hebrews is going. These guys do all this stuff over and over and over again every single day. And then Yom Kippur, holy cow, hell, once a year, we got to every time, we got over and over, because it never ends, because we're all in sin. We're surrounded by death. The master cannot be, the Holy One, blessed is he, cannot come in contact with that. So there needs to be something that happens to allow this guy to draw near to the Holy One. And then what happens? An hour later, this guy should have something else has to happen, allow this guy to draw near, and so on. But we never get a description of what happens in the original, except two things. One, the priesthood is eternal. And two, the sacrifice made by my master was made in that one, and it was also eternal. It was once for all. That's completely different than this one. But that's not surprising, since it's a different place and for a different purpose. Mm -hmm. Because if we're in that tabernacle, then we wouldn't have a problem drawing near, because by definition, we would not be susceptible to sin. Now, our bodies will be changed. We'll be reading in another book soon. And when our bodies are changed, they'll no longer be susceptible to sin. In the blink of an eye, we'll be changed. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we'll be raised in newness of life. In, in that case, the, the Aaronic priesthood probably is not going to be necessary for us. But we have a new Jerusalem coming down in the world to come. So I would, I would imagine that that tabernacle would be there. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, sir. Question. Yeah. First of all, where in the Bible does it say there was an original tabernacle? Um, you've got um, clear articulation over and over again at the back end of the book of Exodus that Moshe was told to build the tabernacle according to what he was shown on the mountain. He was shown the tabernacle, put together, all done, and he was supposed to make it just like that. And the, the word of God goes out of its way to make it clear that all of everything, soup to nuts, he did exactly what he was told to do. And this is proven by the fact that at the end of the book of Exodus, the glory of the Lord comes down and fills the tabernacle. And then you have a problem. What's the problem? The reason Moshe was told to build the tabernacle was what? Oh, to have a place for 
God's well-minded people. Yes! Outstanding. Well done. But then that brings Most up. people get that answer wrong. I knew it. The answer is so that God can dwell among his people. And what was the problem? After he had done it perfectly. It says over and over again, he did exactly what God had commanded him. And then the glory of the Lord did come down to the tabernacle. But what was the problem now? No one could go in. That's right. Besides Moses. No, okay. not even Moses. That's the oh. point. No one could now get in there. And what do we open up with in Leviticus chapter 1? The priesthood. And what they need to do to allow us to draw near to the Holy One that we can't draw near to. This is different from the Melchizedekian priesthood. Got a question from Brock that I can't read without my glasses. How are you, brother? Uh, did the original tabernacle in heaven serve any other purpose other than glorifying God? And who was drawing near in heaven? Well, Brock, I think, you know, it's, it's like I was saying to Scott there. The tabernacle in heaven, by definition, is only the dwelling place of God. And as far as drawing near, because Moshe was commanded to put, as the Gutnik puts it, animals, or as most normal Bibles would put, angels, all over the tapestries, in and out of the, uh, of the tabernacle, it seems clear that the angels certainly were dwelling there with the Holy One, blessed is he. Yeah, Scott got that one. You're exactly right. Little... Uh, I mean, to, to Mr. Martin's point, though, the, the writer of Hebrews is also paralleling the difference between a physical drawing near and an eternal drawing near. So, to your point, there aren't people in that one, the yes. original one, Yes. but in a sense, to Mr. Martin's point, there is still... The, the efficacious nature of the sacrifice being in that one is still Absolutely. an eternal Absolutely. drawing near. Absolutely. I can't, I can't deny that at all. Um, what is the hope of our salvation? That we would spend time, that we would have a place in the world to come, in which dwells the Holy One, blessed is He. Yes. Um, we spoke last week of returning to the garden. There's cherubim, flaming swords, real hassle, barbed wire, it's a hassle, you know, to get back to the garden. But what was the garden? Why was that described as the Lord himself walking in the coolness of the evening and looking for and dwelling with, spending time with his creation? So, yeah, um, I, I think uh, if, I, if I downplayed that parallel, it's definitely there. Um, but I think the idea, though, that there was other sacrifices for other beings, like angels, to have the privilege of drawing near to the Holy One, blessed is He, that I can't abide. But yet, um, this tabernacle, we got a priesthood that allow us to draw near, and their work never ends. Place in the world to come. Eternal fix, permanent solution, sit down because the job is over kind of thing. That's what Hebrews is talking about. Different tabernacle, different priesthood, different sacrifice. The sacrifices and the work 
in the, this is important. Catch this. This is worth memorizing. The sacrifices and the work of the priests in the first tabernacle foreshadow, give us an idea, picture the permanent tabernacle and the work of Yeshua. They are not the same. The blood of bulls and goats can never take away sins. They're not the same. But they're extraordinarily similar. And they teach us that priests act as intermediaries to allow us to draw near. And that there's always a need for the shedding of blood if there's sin. Uh, I got you, then you. Then, then you. Again, you did. You said sacrifice and what? I can rewind the tape. I don't remember what I said. It was at least five seconds ago. Um, the uh, what? Read me. Read me what I what you thought I said. Uh, sacrifice. I didn't get what you said. Sacrifices and something foreshadowed. Oh, and the priesthood, and the, the the constant work of the priests, right? So the sacrifices themselves. What was? What did you know about the sacrifices? Just name a couple things off the top of your head. They're pleasing, sure. But what about the sacrifice? You need to grab a snake? No. Don't work. What did it have to be? Kosher. Had to be kosher. Oh, that's cool. Unblemished. Unblemished. Without Both. sin. That can be any problems. Both sheep, bulls. What about sheep and bulls? Which ones? Friends. Male. Male. Right? Male. That kind of thing. Well, and so male. forth. Yeah, right? I mean, the idea is you got something special here. Then don't forget about the doves, the birds. Yeah, but my point is that you can look at the sacrifices themselves and see that they had to be specified. They had to be specifically identified as proper. And then there was the priesthood that had to walk through exactly how to do things exactly right. And we're reading in this week's portion about two guys who didn't. But their work, allowing the people to draw near, is what it's all about. Good. You? Oh, to your point about the, the picture, that they're not the same, but they're similar. Yes. We see that all the time, right? Like I was just going to point out, even Passover coming up, the Exodus yes. was not the same as the eternal redemption. That's right. But they were, they were a picture. That's right. Right? The lamb that provided... The covering yes. when the angel of death came when through, its blood was shed and when its blood, blood was shed is not the same as Yeshua's sacrifice, but it's a picture, right? I mean, we have that all over Scripture. Amen. That's it. Are these these pictures? Yeah. This is a, a good one that is often misunderstood. Yeah. That they, this priesthood and that priesthood are not the same. They are one is a picture of the other. Yeah. So. Uh, the writer of Hebrews picks up on something that the English language really messes up when it's translated by a biblical scholar, and that is that they are shadows, right? Mm-hmm. So we see the shadow. What we live with is the shadow. But they'll stick in the word mirror like it's always bad. But it's not. Because the shadow allows me to see the shadow caster. I know what the shadow caster looks like based on his shadow. That's the whole idea. So this Friday night, when you're going through the Seder, you'll go through the shadow of the real redemption. Here's the shadow of it. 
and through that you see the reality you see the real one um, you see the original one right that's that's what scripture is all about and the writer of Hebrews does a good job of that the English translations is actually pretty crummy about that yes sir okay, so back to your original tabernacle my original tabernacle not my real one my original one yes the original tabernacle yes sir so you said that it's the dwelling place of God it's the dwelling place of God that's what I said so why does God need a dwelling place in heaven where he can be anyway and if God has a dwelling I mean, how can God have a dwelling place if he has no physical form to dwell with? To dwell. I get it. I get it. Sure. Yeah. Um, he has a throne. you agree? Yes. Where is it? Okay, so let's move on. <laughs> so I'd like to bring you to uh, Hebrews chapter 8. They're good questions. They're good questions. Hebrews chapter 8, I uh, try to give you a, uh, a new version here, and it is fleshed out, and I want to be clear that it is, that I came up with this in three different ways. I came up with this um, through studying the book of Hebrews. I came up with this in studying the book of Hebrews with Rick Spurlock's study in Hebrews. And if you don't go to bereansonline.org and do the Hebrews study, you are missing out on outstanding and wonderful study. Excellent. Excellent for couples. Excellent for young people. Excellent for uh, singles. Whatever. It's just absolutely spectacular. And I can't, I can't uh, tell you um, how much it's meant to my walk and understanding this whole concept, especially if you're uh, thinking about keeping the Torah. Um, and then the third way that I came up with this by, by, was by actually reading one of Rick Spurlock's translations, which uh, is the Shema Chazak version, uh, which he actually does in his Hebrew study uh, later on, chapter 9, I believe. Um, so, I, again, I I'm not trying to steal anything from him, um, but I did... Uh, I did come up with this uh, translation, so I'm going to bring to your attention a couple of things. Uh, they are in the study guide. Um, if the Greek is not there, uh, if you have a Bible study um, tool or software package, and you can't see that there's a word, a Greek word behind the English, it's been removed. Um, I tried to be extraordinarily consistent with the rest of the themes, the words that were used in Hebrews. Um, I did change the word uh, for namas, law, to Torah. Um, and then uh, in, uh, I'm on page 42 in the, ch in the uh, study guide, but uh, verse 13 of chapter 8 is probably the most important. And I took a lot of time to make sure that uh, the amplification that I provided is consistent with both the previous chapters of Hebrews and the future ones. And then I'll give you about 10 bullet points there to show you that there is a whole lot of focus on the world to come and on uh, what's going to happen to us afterwards. And then finally, if you look at the bottom of page 43, I've got a little footnote. Mm -hmm. 
Diorthesis is uh, the word Reformation in chapter 9 and verse 10. And it's a medical term that's used in extra-biblical literature to describe the straightening of broken bones. Literally, to make straight, to write, or to correct. And I use that same term in 8.13, which is such an important verse. Um, so I want you to understand where it came from before we read through it. We'll read it out loud and, and just walk through it and see if uh, if this chapter comes alive for you as it did me. Um, Katabalo is a medical term as well. Uh, we'll be looking at that in um, Revelation. Uh, it has to do with uh, amputation. So it's, it's not uncommon that medical terms are used um, to describe stuff uh, here. So... Uh, who wants to start us out on page 43 and uh, verse uh, 728, top of the page? You got that with you? Mm -hmm. You do? You want to start us out? Sure. For the Torah appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the Torah, a son, is perfect forever. Does that, does that make sense? I mean, your regular priests are just regular guys, but this guy... Is the son of God, and the forever thing comes from the Melchizedekian thing that we started with, uh, with Alex um, starting us out tonight, right? Go ahead, sir. I beg your pardon. Now the main point in what has been said in the previous chapters is this: we have such a high priest, Yeshua, who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the Majesty in the heavens, a minister in the holy place and in the true tabernacle, Ooh, which. Hashem pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. Now if he, that is Yeshua, were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those priests who offer the gifts according to the Torah, who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. For see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. Now he, that is Yeshua, has obtained a more excellent ministry than the Aaronic priests, by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. For if that first situation, that is a priesthood that is unable to cleanse from sin, provide perfection or secure the worshiper a place in the world to come, had been blameless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. So let's pause and see. Does that make sense? Kind of flows for me, but I wrote it. So, yeah, we're good. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. You sound so good. Okay. Just keep I'll going, but yeah. For finding fault, he says, "Behold, days are coming," says Hashem. Let's, when... let's let's hold on a second. For finding fault, in what? With the people. Not the in creation, but the heart. Mm. Oh. No. Disagree. <laughs> Look at verse 7. For if that first situation, that is a priesthood that's unable to come from sin, provide perfection, or secure the worshiper place in the world to come in blameless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. Mm. So, finding fault in that first one. Right? A priesthood that cannot cleanse people. They cannot cleanse their conscience of sin 
They cannot provide them a place in the world to come. That's what he's finding fault in. <clears throat> For finding fault, he says, Behold, days are coming, says Hashem, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says Hashem. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says Hashem. I will put my Torah into their minds, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, No, Hashem, for all will know me, from the least, of the great, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Okay, that's almost entirely in quote from Jeremiah, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Finish it up. When he said, New, he has made the first covenant and its priesthood unnecessary. This is not to say the first is unnecessary now. For as long as we are in this present world, we need the first. However, as the world to come draws closer, the Aaronic priesthood is becoming obsolete, growing old, and is near disappearing. Since by that time we will not be able to become unclean, and will have no need to draw near when things are put right again. That is, back to how they were in the beginning, in the good things to come. One more verse. Two more. Now the first situation had requirements of service in the, earth, in the earthly holy place. For there was a tabernacle prepared, the first, in which were the lampstand and the table and the consecrated bread. That is called the holy place. And there you go. So you see where I'm coming from? Yeah, I thought we actually agree. Yeah. It's the same just word. Yeah, it's yeah I got you. Yeah. So th this was a watershed moment in my faith. I felt when I finally got Hebrews 8 that I understood the, the rest of the Bible. That this, this hooey that I had heard that said, well, God only gave the commandments to the Jewish people to show them that they needed a Savior because they couldn't keep it. Hmm. Which, of course, is ridiculous. Because if you break the Torah, it, the Torah itself tells you how you make it right and fix it. Or that the commandments were then, this is now. That's the old covenant. This is the new covenant. And that too is just absolutely ridiculous because the only time new covenant appears is in what they're calling the old covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31, 31 through 34. And then finally, that the, the concept that the apostolic writings themselves are the new covenant. So the Old Testament, they call it, is not the old covenant. And the New Testament, as they call it, is not the new covenant. These three things, came about by me understanding Hebrews chapter 8. What are your comments on this amplification of Hebrews 8? Nice reading. Mm. Does it make sense? Crazy stuff? Running out of the building? We're going to kill chickens now. I mean, I, I think this, this, is, this makes so much sense that it seems almost necessary to not feel 
weird about your Bible, to feel that you can't really read all of that because this contradicts that. Right, or if you're reading that, it must mean you don't believe this, right, you know, or something like that. Yeah. Right, this, this brings cohesiveness to the whole thing, which is, you would think that would be the goal, you know, uh, it is for there to be a common theme and a common, a common message in everything that Hashem has so has preserved I mean, for us from one end to the other. I mean, that's why I love that we call it the Torah all over and over and over again. Similar to the church, where the to the word Torah has so much behind it. It's a loaded word, and it's instruction. That's right. So the, the, we're constantly looking for what can we learn from every little thing that we read, okay. and that is, I think, the appropriate response. You know, and there's definitely to Mr. Martin's point, there are definitely minority people within the visible representation of the church that take the entire Bible very seriously. We will seek to memorize giant portions of scripture in order to learn the Amen. will of God more. Amen. Yeah. Um, but I, I, this was fantastic cool. and, a, and an excellent tool to understand this better and so that it, it feels so much more consistent with the rest of the things that we've learned and with the, with the Master's words. Good. Praise God. Thank you. That's very kind of you. So do you find... Uh, do you find my son-in-law Gregory to be a godly man? Yes. Do you think that he knows the Torah? Yes. Do you think that he wants to do right? Yes. yes. Have you been in a prayer service with him before? Yes. How do you explain the fact that he said Hashem and not Adonai every time he came to that in that chapter? Because <laughs> he was reading it. That's not the right answer, but very, very close. Yes? Yeah, because he was respecting the fact that you were putting that for some reason. That's very kind of you as well. Close, but no cigar. That's not why. Would you say it was an accident or deliberate? Deliberate. Absolutely. What's different about tonight versus Shabbat? It's not set apart. In a religious context, we say Adonai. In a non-religious context, we say Hashem. It's hard to do the blessings and say Hashem instead of Adonai when you're in a non-religious context. It's very difficult for me. Mm -hmm. I, can barely, I can barely do the English, let alone get it right. But am I, is that not right? Yeah. Uh, right. right. Exactly. Which is, it's, just, it's still kind of just a tradition. Of, but, of course, but, but I, you're honoring the Word of God and, and even lifting it up higher by not treating it the same as you would in a religious context. And I, I'm, I'm proud of you, and I wanted to bring it up. So God bless you. Good job. Any comments on Hebrews 8? Yes. Speaking of Shabbat, Shabbat yeah. represents the world to come. And that's what we're reading about here. Is I would say that the sages would say, yeah, the sages would say that six days man will reign, and seventh, the seventh day, the, the thousand years, uh, Messiah will reign. So that would be the days of Messiah. But the, the creation of the world is the world. And that the eighth day, and this portion is called Shemini, as you know, the eighth day represents the world the to world come. To come. It, yeah. And it's after that seventh day. It's almost laid out the way we look at Sukkot, right? So Passover is a seven-day festival. The first day and the seventh day are Yom Tovs, Yamim Tomim. So the first and the seventh, that's where we begin. By the end of the year, by the end of the cycle, 
by the end of the world, we have an eight-day festival. Seven days, and then there's a completely different festival. It's not part of Sukkot. Sukkot, just like Passover, is seven days long. But then Shemini Atzeret is the eighth day, and it is a Shabbat. It's a Yom Tov. Not the seventh day, like in Passover. So it's almost like the seven days are all the same as if you're in a consistency. And then that eighth day is Shemini Atzeret. And uh, that is the, the representation of the world. I guess I'm thinking of uh, that you don't traditionally you don't pray for people to be on healed Shabbat. on Shabbat sure. because well, in the days of Messiah, yeah, I guess you know it's all it's all cool and wonderful. I mean, every man's going to have a grape in a corner of his house in a wheelbarrow, and he's going to get wine from it, you know, for a year or something like that. I mean, they, they go through all kinds of awesomeness because when Messiah is here, things will begin to flourish as they were intended to. But I think, as we see in Revelation, there's, there's still going to be those that are chafing under his rule, which is why, even in the days of Messiah, it says he, he rules with a rod of iron. And we'll, we'll get into that, but that's... We need three more books before we get to it. So It's good. Good stuff. Yes, sir? You know, I like this chapter 8 because it answers the question of why we need... A Messiah. Amen. And the reason we need a Messiah is because we need a perfect judge in order to judge us righteously. Mm -hmm. If we look at all judges that even we have now, they dispense judgment, but it's hypocritical because the people who they dispense in their own hearts committed those same things. And how can those who are guilty convict those who are also guilty sure. without themselves being convicted by that verdict? Sure. You need a the perfect that, judge. The fact that Messiah had to go through everything that we went through, had to face the same trials, same tribulations, and must have overcome every one of those in order to ascend, is the validation of his Mashiach. Amen. And yeah. this answers it perfectly that the priesthood was just a shadow. We had to have this happen. There was no other alternative. Amen. If not, uh, we wouldn't yeah. have a resurrection. Right. From the, from the very beginning. Yeah. You know, he was, he was, was foretold that uh, we had a problem, you know, we were rebellious and we didn't want to keep his toe. You know, it's, it was real simple in the beginning. You get a whole bunch of trees, have a great time. This one tree, don't eat from this tree. Oops. Curiosity got the best of you. So, good. Other comments on uh, Hebrews 8? All right. So, uh, final questions. What's the same in both the Old and the New Covenants? They both know the same people. Wow. <laughs> um, that's excellent. They are both made with the same people. Um, how do you explain the fact that uh, if the Old Covenant was made with the people of Israel, that you, I would presume, consider yourself to be a part of the New Covenant, how do you explain that? 
Josiah? Yes. You and your brother, of all people, should be able to answer this question. If the old co- brother said both the old covenant and the new covenant have one thing in common, and that is that they were made, both covenants are made with the same group of people. And we know from Jeremiah chapter 31 that that's the people of Israel. So how do you claim to be a member of the new covenant? Or maybe you don't. Are you a member of the new covenant? I would say if you're not, you have no place in the world to come. So let's say yes for sake of argument. Your dad's a Lutheran too. I know. The majority, what you're getting at, the majority of the men in here come in through the same thing you're about to try to say. That's exactly right. And why would he not too. recognize that immediately of all of us in the room? You're adopted. So am I. Your adoption by your father is but a shadow of the love that your heavenly father has for you in that he allowed you to also be adopted into his family. Say amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Amen. You got it? Everybody. Todd's right. I'm, I'm adopted. He's adopted. He's adopted. And he's adopted. So we're a majority. Wow. I'm adopted. He's adopted! Oh, Holy yeah. cow! Like There's only adopted. three of us. Twice. Wow. Twice? Yeah. Eh, some first timers don't work out. Three times. Oh, amen. Oh, yeah. Two. Mm-hmm. And then above. So, I met your parents. I've met yours. I've met yours! Yes. <laughs> he. All right, so wow, that is, Todd, wow, I didn't even realize where you're going there because I didn't realize that. Wow, one, two, three, four, for those that are listening from Gastonia, one, two, three, four, five, six out of nine men here are actually physically adopted. And I would venture to say, although Micah, we're not too sure about yet, (laughs) nine out of nine are spiritually adopted. Mm -hmm. Amen? Mm -hmm. Cool. Very cool. So that's one thing. Same people. Great job, Joshua. What's another thing that's in common between between both covenants? Same Torah. It's the same Torah, right? We should have gotten that. Is he going to change the Torah? No. No. What did he write the Torah on in the old covenant? Stone. 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 What's he going to write it on in the new covenant? On our hearts. Same Torah. Nicely done. I see the cheap seats. And the people. I wouldn't have the people and the Torah. Is there anything else that's the same between or similar between the two covenants? Thank you very much. Man, you guys are on top of it. Yes, both covenants required a priesthood. The first covenant required a priesthood so that the people might draw near to God. And that's the Aaronic priesthood. The second, the new covenant, required a Melchizedekian priesthood that would be eternal and that could once for all cleanse the members of the covenant from sin so that they might have a place in the world to come and to be able to permanently draw near to God. Outstanding. I can only think of one more thing that they all had in common. They both had in common. 
Did they have a tabernacle? Yes! Yes! Man, oh man, oh man. Yes, indeed. They both had to have a tabernacle. Why? Because the priesthood has to have a place to minister. And because the Holy One, blessed is He, desires to dwell among His people. Yes! You guys have just gotten the entirety of the Bible from Genesis to the maps. That's what it's all about. Here's a picture, a shadow of what I'm going to do to fix the problem of sin that you read about in the garden and bring you right back to the garden as we provide a new covenant. Not that the old covenant was bad, wrong, disappointing, or any of that. It was great, and it's always great as long as we're on this planet. And when the third temple is here, and you get an opportunity as Gentiles to physically draw near to the presence of God, you're going to appreciate the Aaronic priesthood and the tabernacle. Cool beans. Final questions on uh, Hebrews. What we're up to? We got only, I think, two more lessons, and we're done with Hebrews. Um, I've I've been trying to make it exciting, but at the same time, not bore you with. Um, there's not a whole lot of halakha and how to live, but rather why we live, mm -hmm. right? The whole idea of how Messiah works, why he works. Um, let me ask you a couple of, uh, we got just a few moments here. Let me ask you a couple of trick questions. Um, did I warn you up front? These are trick questions. If you use your points to make a trick out of them, why do you warn? Because I love you. There it is. Okay. So, if you're a member of the New Covenant, what is your lot in life, as the world would put it? What is your destiny? Two things. Two things? Yep. Let's hear to have fellowship with the Father and to minister to one another for the purpose of his kingdom. That's all summed up. To love your brother and to love your Lord. I like it. <laughs> and people have fellowship with the Father and minister to one another and not be a member of the new covenant. I'd say yes. I think the Orthodox community in its entirety is pretty good at both. What do we, what is the major difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant? One significant difference. One. There's weight on this. Hmm. No, it's, it's, you're close, but no. What? Are you thinking the location of the Torah? No. Or are you thinking... No, because I don't think he's written it on your heart yet. I think he's changed it. But I don't think he's written this Torah on your heart. Not yet. Do you think the New Covenant has come to pass? No. Not in, in its entirety, right? Yeah, Couldn't be. Yeah. Right? So, what's the one big difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant? 
where it is. Where it is. What does that mean? Where is it? The old covenant is here on earth, on this world. The new covenant is in the world to come. You know, that's clever. But let me let me throw that under the bus this way. Are you remember the new covenant? Are you in heaven? <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> what is the one difference between the old covenant and the new covenant? How many of you are members of the old covenant? <laughs> Nobody? And I would imagine all nine of us would raise our hands as members of the new covenant. Sure. Go ahead. They just the wildest shot in the dark. We place. love wild shots. <laughs> um, what was sealed with the blood of animals and what was sealed with the blood of our master? This is true. This is true. Uh-huh, uh-huh. We've but, but, but if we do that, then we have to list out all of the differences in the covenants. And we just went through that. So I'm saying we should be able to take now Hebrews chapter 8 and take all of those and boil it down to one major difference. So I think that's a good answer. I'm not saying it's a wrong answer. It's not a good answer. What do you think one needs to be taught and one doesn't? That's clever. I get it because you're still stuck on the new tab and it being written on our hearts and not teaching one another. Yeah, no, that's not it either. Uh, but I like that you know the scripture. Come on. Come on. So you're saying it's not why, do you, why do you not want to be a member of the Old Covenant? How many are members of the Old Covenant? Nobody wants to put their hand up. Why not? Oh, uh, oh, oh. A hard oh. condition. It's a hard condition. Yeah. I'm with you. Only one leads to eternal There it is. That's salvation. It. Here's the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. If you're a member of the Old Covenant, you will die in your sins. It's as simple as that. Was Abraham a member of the Old Covenant or the New Covenant? Okay. We're going to get to Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith. Every one of those people were members of the New Covenant. So if you're thinking the New Covenant started at the cross, or started at the birth of Messiah, or, or any of that nonsense, you're not reading the Bible. Abel. Let's see, how deep into, into world history we got? Adam, Eve... Abel. That's that's pretty close. Who messed up? Adam and Eve. Oh, number one. New covenant. If you remember the new covenant, you have life in the world to come. If you remember the old covenant, you will die in your sins. That's the difference. And what Hebrews chapter eight tells us is how that was that came to pass how that worked itself out. Does that make sense? Yes, Michael. Are you saying, so Adam and Eve were members of the Old Covenant? I didn't say they were members of the Old Covenant. I said that their son was a member of the New Covenant. I got you! So who's a member of the Old Covenant? You know what? Mm -hmm. The Bible says that no man can know the heart. Haman. Oh, I like it. Um, uh, Amalek. That's good. These are biblical responses. Adam and Eve. Um, I could argue both ways. 
But I would rather argue, as sages, I think, teach, that we should think the best of every man. Um, so I would say that uh, the Lord provided for them. He provided coverings for them. He shed blood for them, killed an animal to provide with coverings, right? Um, and he provided a way for them. So I would, uh, I would like to think the best, but I don't even know if your dad's a member of the New Covenant. You know, just no man can know the heart; only God does. So, I think the the better solution for us is always to look at those that the Scripture nails and says, "Hey, you know what?" I, some of my favorite verses out of the Apostolic Scriptures is uh, is about Elizabeth and. Uh, Zachariah, Elisheva and Zachariah, right? What's it say? Perfect. Blameless. 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 They were blameless according to the Torah. <laughs> I like perfect. I could work with perfect. I think some versions do use perfect. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know. But they were blameless according to the Torah. That's astonishing. That's right. So was Miriam. So was Joseph. <clears throat> cool. Final comments on this uh, lesson or on uh, Hebrews. I see my brother Jonathan has uh, piped in there. I think you came in late, brother, so I hope you're going to be listening online after class. Yeah. Any? Yes? No? How stress blameless before God in prison with brothers? Wrong Joseph. Oh. Yeah, I was talking about me. No, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. I was. Ah! Yeah. No, I was talking about uh, Miriam's husband. Actually, I think the physical father of uh, Yeshua. But that'll just cause all kinds of problems mm, for, for you guys theologically. Yeah. yeah. Stay yeah. tuned next That's week. That's right. Yes. <laughs> Stay tuned next week. All right. Who wants to pray for us? Gregory. You had so many good answers. I would ask Joshua to, to pray. I haven't done that to him publicly yet. So I'd be, you know, concerned that he might, you know, just start to writhe on the floor and get all freaked out. So why don't you go ahead and pray for us? I would, I would love to. Pray, pray for Joshua, too. Our Father, our King, what a pleasure, what an amazing blessing that we have to, as uh, Josiah reminded us, to sh uh, iron sharpens iron, to yeah. sharpen one another tonight, to wrestle with the scripture, to yeah. study more, to really come to grips with the fundamentals of our faith. Yes. It's such a blessing that we have such young men in, in our class, and I pray, Father, that you would continue to strengthen their faith, that you would continue to instill a, mm. a desire to, to know the scripture, to memorize yes. the scripture, mm. and you would uh, give all of the fathers in this room the wisdom to teach our children wisely, that they may grow in wisdom and stature, that they may grow to fear you, to keep the commandments, and to hold fast to the testimony of the Messiah Yeshua. This week we pray that you would continue to bless the work of our hands, that you would keep us safe and keep us healthy, and bless my father-in-law as he opens up his house, and, and for the many hours that he puts into this study to help guide us through your word, uh, and uh, and to be able to rightly divide uh, the, the word as we, as you called us to do. Mm -hmm. We pray all these things in Messiah Yeshua's name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.